Welcome everybody to the Nerdpool Podcast with the fat fool who loves Deadpool, your host, Jamie. The water's fine. Come on in. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of the Nerdpool Podcast. Yes, it's me, it's me, it's the J-M-I-E, your 731st favorite podcast host and of course, your Sherpa down the road of nerdiness. Today is going to be a different episode, a very special episode, because this past Sunday was WrestleMania, the showcase of the immortals, the granddaddy of them all, and what they're calling the ultimate thrill ride this year, WrestleMania 33. So today we're going to be doing a recap of the episode. If this ain't your thing, you can go on and cut it off, but I'm going to recap it. I hope you enjoy it and learn a few things you, you know. We're going to jump right into this and start off with the New Day, Coming out, showing they're the host, doing a little bit, a little skit, just talking a little bit before we get into our first match, which was AJ Styles versus Shane McMahon. This match, honestly, for what it was, was actually a pretty good match. AJ is probably the best worker in professional wrestling today. Shane McMahon's always down as a good opponent. He's not the best wrestler, but he is capable of having a decent match. And AJ did make him look really good. And Shane McMahon held up his end of the bargain. I was expecting Shane McMahon to do some kind of crazy stunt like he always seems to do. That seems to be his thing, his niche. But I guess at almost 50 years old, Shane McMahon just didn't want to do it. They wanted to make this a classic wrestling match with a little bit of striking in between. Now, it did seem like at times they got a little stiff with each other. AJ Styles ended up with a black eye. It looked like they might have been not pulling their punches as much, but it turned out to be a pretty good match. Uh, more of a standard wrestling match. AJ getting the win at 20 minutes and 35 seconds. This is one of the longer matches on the card, which kind of shocked me, but considering that one of the participants is the owner's son, it really shouldn't. But all in all, it was a decent match for what it was. It wasn't a five-star classic. It's not going to be the one that's going to be talked about with uh, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker or Ricky Steamboat and the Macho Man Randy Savage, but a decent match nonetheless with AJ getting the win, which was pretty much predictable because you can't really have AJ lose two WrestleManias in a row, and especially not to the owner's son. Shane McMahon's not a wrestler, so it wouldn't have looked good for your guy that you're trying to build as one of your top stars. Next up, we had uh, Chris Jericho versus Kevin Owens for the U.S. title. This, I honestly thought, could have stole the show. These two are probably two of the better workers for Raw and on the entire uh, WWE roster. Jericho's a classic, the veteran, the veteran that's been doing this for umpteen years. Kevin Owens is no rookie in his own mind. He's been on the indies, tearing the house down. He's tore the house down since he's got on the main roster of WWE. The match was relatively short at 16 minutes and 20 seconds with uh, Kevin Owens going over Chris Jericho for the U.S. title to gain it. I honestly thought that this one... Could have used the Universal title instead of putting it on Lesnar and Goldberg. Um, you could have had a Champions versus Champions match, and these two are very capable. The match was okay for what it was. They didn't have enough time to really tell the story for what this was with the backstory they had involved with them being best friends, supposedly, and Kevin Owens turning on them. They did all this build, and they only gave him 16 minutes to do it. Uh, the match was okay. Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho usually deliver their match. I just wish they'd have been giving a little bit more time to work out some of the things that they're capable of as they're two of the better hands in the business. You have two of the best talkers in the business who have put it there, and I would have just liked to have seen them given a little bit more time, take a little bit away from the AJ-Shane match, 
and give it to them. And I think they really could have stole the house, tore the house down and stole the show as these two are very capable of doing all of that. Um, we're going to move on to the next match, which was the Raw Women's Division Championship match featuring Bailey, the huggable, lovable babyface, Sasha Banks, the boss, as she likes to call herself, who we're not quite sure is a babyface or a heel. She's portrayed as being Bailey's friend and a babyface, but Sasha seems like she's better suited for a heel role. She worked at Great in NXT against Bailey, and I really thought that this was going to be the time that they were going to turn her to make her a heel to basically win the match from Bailey, who's supposed to be her best friend, and have Bailey chase her when doing heel tactics. That is not how the match went. Uh, also, it was starring Charlotte Flair, the daughter of Ric Flair and the four-time women's champion. It seems like she was on par to break her father's title reign of 16 times, but they seemed to kind of shy away from that a little bit. I didn't think she was going to walk out of this with the championship. She didn't walk out of this with the championship. And, of course, you had Nia Jax, the cousin of The Rock, Roman Reigns, the Usos, the legendary Anoa family. She's in that. She's six foot plus, 275 pounds. She's a big girl. She's she's green at what she's doing. She's not there yet. Um, she's a good monster heel for the division. She's getting better every time she's out there, but I don't think she's on the level that they need her to be to be a champion just yet. And her being in this match was basically just to, I think, get her on the WrestleMania card and see how she did um, against Sasha and Bayley and Charlotte, who are three of the better women in the division, three of the best women in professional wrestling today. Uh, Bayley gets the win at 12 minutes and 45 seconds. Again, this is another match that did not have the time to tell the story that they needed to. Uh, with this being a four-way elimination match, they kind of had to run through eliminations kind of quick to get the 12 minutes and 45 seconds when it came down to uh, Bailey and Charlotte. It, it doesn't, it, they needed a lot more time to work. They could not tell a proper story. It was a good match for what it was. Again, they just, they, they needed more time to be able to establish the story that they were trying to tell. When you give somebody like uh, 12 minutes on WrestleMania, it's tough to do. When you give four people, 12 minutes at WrestleMania. It is really tough to do. They went into this match um, with a really good backstory of Bailey being the underdog champion, Charlotte being the quintessential queen of the division, and looking to become another uh, another champion once again. Sasha being the friend who was in this, being you don't really know where her ties are where her loyalty is going to be to Bailey, or if she's just out for the championship, and Nia Jax just being the destroyer of the match. Again, it's a decent match with Bailey getting the win. It just wasn't great for what it was. They didn't have enough time to really do anything or tell the story. Um, if you saw NXT Brooklyn uh, last year, or if you've seen Charlotte and Sasha work inside Hell in the Cell or their Iron Women's match, they all these women are very capable of having a really good match. And this just didn't deliver because they didn't give them enough time to be able to do it. Next, they had a Hall of Fame recap. Uh, the Hall of Fame 2017 class this year was the Rock and Roll Express, Rick Rude, Teddy Long, Beth Phoenix, DDP, and of course, the headliner of the event was Kurt Angle. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's damn true. They bring them out. They announce them. 
Kurt Angle comes out to his entrance music. Just a little show, photo op for everybody. The Rock and Roll Express being there was fun to finally see them go in. Rick Rude's family accepting for him. He's a very deserving candidate. I really can't believe it took this long to put him in. Teddy Long. Teddy Long's been in the business forever. He's been a manager. He's been a referee. He was the general manager of SmackDown forever. And if you don't like that, then he'll put you in a tag team match playoff. His little dance has got him over. And it was just, it was a little trip to see him go in. I mean, it was, it was kind of cool and kitschy fun. Uh, Beth Phoenix was deserving female, I guess, for what they had. Beth Phoenix is a, a multiple-time Divas champion. Um, she's good. She was in the ring. She had a relatively short career in the WWE before retiring, and they put her in. It seems like now every year has to have a, a tag team and a female go in, and she was probably the most deserving right now for the uh, women's division to put in. You also had uh, Diamond Dallas Page go in. Diamond Dallas Page, for everybody knows, is a multiple-time world champion, uh, former U.S. champion. He had great matches with Randy Savage, Ric Flair. He came in at WWE against The Undertaker and had a lackluster. He's been tag champions with Canyon and Bam Bam Bigelow. He, he was a good hand. And, of course, now he's a part of uh, DDP Yoga, which is he owns his yoga company, which is saving people's lives, uh, helping people lose weight, get off drugs. Um, if you look at Scott Scott Hall or Jake the Snake Roberts, they can tell you that. He's completely rebranded himself as a uh, yogi, and it has worked for him. He's very deserving to go into the Hall of Fame as he is a multiple-time champion. Like I said, he started the business Early on, he didn't become a wrestler till he was 35 years old. Um, his acceptance speech, thanking Dusty Rose for helping him, was it, it was a great thing, and it, it it was made him tear up. And I enjoyed it, and I'm glad he's going in. Kurt Angle, what can you say? Kurt Angle is held every title in the WWE he can. He's held multiple titles in TNA. He's had a hell of a career, hell of a run. Um, he had a few problems run in with drinking and drugs seems like he's over that now it's nice to see him back home back where he belongs in the WWE enjoying life he seems to be doing well and I really hope that he can have a match or two in the WWE because there are some dream opponents for him to wrestle and I I think we will see him in the WWE soon but I think like he said he has to kind of gain their trust first before they allow it to happen and we're going to move on next. It was the uh, tag team Raw Tag Team Championship Ladder Match. It was featuring the club as the defending champions against Sheamus and Cesaro, who actually came out wearing matching outfits to look like an actual tag team for once, and Enzo and Cass. Enzo, certified G, bada boom, realest guys in the room. You can't teach that. Big Cass, seven foot tall, you can't teach that. And they were, it was going to be a good match. I fully expected Enzo and Cass to win this match. I think it was going to be their WrestleMania moment, considering they are probably the most over tag team in the division. Uh, the New Day comes out wearing wrestling gear, saying that this will be a four-team ladder match. And people suspected that it was going to be the New Day. There was a rumor going around that the Hardy Boys had re-signed with the WWE. Uh, they downplayed it. We kind of thought maybe it would happen. And all of a sudden, New Day steps aside, and the Hardy Boys come out. Their triumphant return to the WWE after years of being away. 
Matt Hardy has the broken gimmick, but not really. He still has a stripe in his hair. He's still striping his hair. He's still doing some of the gestures from the broken gimmick. If you have not seen the broken Matt Hardy gimmick, please YouTube it. It is some of his best work ever. It is so much fun and so entertaining. He, uh, they come out and to a massive pop and massive delete chance. Delete, delete, delete. It works really well. They go into the match. Typical ladder match. Uh, you get a bunch of high spots. You get a Jeff Hardy death-defying high spot of putting Sheamus and Cesaro through ladders from a 20-foot ladder as he does a swanton off. Uh, it's pretty standard ladder match. The match only lasted 11 minutes, which for a ladder match is a lot to get in. I don't know if they gave them, if they didn't give them a, a lot of time to minimize the risk of them getting injured or to save time or what, but it, it showed they, they, this was a spot fest. They tried to fit a whole lot of stuff into a relatively short time. Matt and Jeff doing this is kind of amazing considering it was only a few nights before at the Ring of Honor Supercard that they had a ladder match against the Young Bucks. If you have not seen that match, I suggest you go and see it. That match was incredible. It was a great match. Uh, both of them teams work really well together. And in this, it just they didn't have the time to do that. They didn't have time to tell the story. This was all about the Hardys returning and winning the championship. That's all this was. Um, I'm surprised they didn't give it to Cass and Enzo, considering they're, again, probably the most over-tag team in wrestling right now. And... They, you figured it would have been their WrestleMania moment considering how many times they've come up short in winning the Tag Team Championship gold. Um, I'm guessing the WWE doesn't think they need it to stay over, which they probably don't because they have such charisma and... Charisma and... What's the word I'm looking for exactly? Hutzpah, I'll say that. They're, they're, they have it when it comes to being a tag team. They're good on the mic. They're decent in the ring. And they just get over with fans, and they ooze what fans want. They have the catchphrases that fans want, and it just it works for them. Well, the fact that they didn't win here, again, was kind of shocking. But the Hardy Boys triumph at return, I guess it would make better for them to chase the Hardys, who are massive fan favorites. And it, it, just, it would just work better that way, I'm guessing. Next up, we had John Cena and Nikki Bella taking on The Miz and Maurice. If you saw the build for this match at all, it was basically Miz saying that John Cena is stealing his spotlight and that John Cena and Nikki Bella aren't a real couple, that it's all fabricated. She's basically a gold digger trying to further her career, and John Cena is just saying what he has to say because she's attractive. Never want, He's never going to marry her. He's never going to have kids with her, which if you've seen any interviews with her, he basically said he didn't want to get married again. Um, going into this match, everybody knew who was going to win. Cena doesn't lose that often. He definitely wasn't going to lose here. The match surprised me because Miz got cheered in this match like I've never heard him cheered before. He seemed like he, I don't know if it was just because the fans were anti-Cena and they knew what was going on, or the fact that this past year in 2016, the Miz, when Maurice came back with him, has done the best work of his career. He's done an incredible job of being a great heel, of cutting shoot promos that aren't shoot promos. They're scripted, but yet not as scripted as it used to be. And I think he's really starting to earn the respect of wrestling fans because The Miz has always been kind of a joke 
when it comes to pro wrestling fans. He's always been the guy that came from reality show. That's been nothing but a WWE guy. He didn't have to earn the indies. He didn't have to work to get where he's at. He kind of just got thrust into the spotlight because he was from a TV show and people knew him and he had a name. Um, in this match, if you saw, he played to it and I think he actually enjoyed it knowing that the fans were cheering him and in fact, actually giving him a little bit of respect, which I think he's actually earned. I'm not a huge Miz fan, but he has done great work and he has earned my respect this past year. And in this match, him soaking up the adulation of the fans, I, I just figured it was it was because he hadn't done it before. Um, Cena and Nikki went over in nine minutes and forty seconds, a relatively short match. Uh, Nikki and Maurice aren't the best workers in the world. John Cena is John Cena. He's a good worker. He might not have that many moves, but he's still a, a good worker, good hand. I give the man respect. He's worked his tail off for over a decade for the company, and I know people don't like him because of the way he's booked, and I don't really like him because of the way he's booked. I don't like the Super Cena gimmick of always having to win. I don't like the fact that he tied Ric Flair's world championship record reign, but he got all my respect because of what he does with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, um, what he does for charities. He's a, he's a good spokesman for the company. He's well-spoken, polite, and he, he is a decent worker in the ring. The match was mainly a uh, Cena and Miz th match. When it came down to it, at the end, you saw uh, Nikki and uh, Cena do a double five knuckle shuffle, and then they picked they picked up Miz and Maurice, and Cena delivered the AA to Miz, and Nikki delivered her finisher to Maurice. They pinned them both one two three, and then afterwards. We uh, got to see John Cena actually propose to Nikki Bella, which was actually kind of a shock considering that he said he didn't want to get married again. He told a story about her going in for neck surgery, and when she was under, or when she was going in, he told her that she was going to tell, be able, wouldn't be able to lie to him if he asked her a question when she was going under. And he said when uh, she was going out, he told him to stop, and he ran down and he asked her, do you know one day I'm going to marry you? And she said yes. And she didn't remember this, apparently. I don't know if this was scripted or not. I don't know if, how much she actually knew, if she knew he was going to propose or not. It was a rumor. I don't really know. But he pulled out a ring, and it's a ring. I mean, it's a Kobe Bryant, I'm sorry, ring. It's 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 a big ring. And he proposes to her in the middle of the ring. It's oh, There's people that booed. The majority of people cheered. I mean, if you don't like Cena, if you don't like Nikki Bella, if this is legitimate, which I, I honestly believe that this is a legitimate engagement, uh, it, it's a nice thing to see. You know, I mean, it's something that rarely happens. And on the biggest day of them all, in front of 72-plus thousand people and millions of people watching around the world, it's actually a pretty cool sight to see. And I'm happy for the two, and I wish them all the best in their future with each other. And it was, just, it was just a nice little WrestleMania moment that's going to be remembered and played for, for years to come. Next up, we had the unsanctioned match, No Holds Barred, against Seth Rollins, the Kingslayer, and the King of Kings, as he likes to call himself, the game, Triple H. Uh, this was unsanctioned because Rollins had supposedly hurt his knee again. He, he did hurt it. I don't know the severity of it for the backstory. But uh, it was they didn't know if he was going to make WrestleMania. And the way he got to be in WrestleMania is if he signed the waivers saying he could not sue the company, 
The thing I don't get about unsanctioned matches when they say, you know, the WWE is not sanctioning it. It's not abiding by our rules. We don't have anything to do with it. I've never understood it because you still have a referee. You still have entrances. It's on TV. You know, it's just these little things that doesn't make sense to me if it's unsanctioned. I know it's scripted and kayfabe. It's not real and kayfabe and all this other stuff. I understand. But it's just like, for me to have to suspend that belief is kind of weird. Uh, the entrances were probably, they were they were actually pretty decent little entrances. Triple H got a uh, police escort to the ring on police motorcycles. Not real police, but, you know, a trailer motorcycle. Then he came out on a Harley Chopper uh, trike with Stephanie McMahon on the back wearing a leather vest. I mean, it was a cool little entrance uh, with the nice chopper. You know, just Triple H usually has a a entrance at WrestleMania a theme or just something spectacular. This was one of his less spectacular entrances, but it's still a cool little cool little thing. Uh, Seth Rollins comes out next in holding a torch that's on fire. He touches the ramp and the ramp ignites and goes down to the ring and ignites the ring and area and it wasn't real. The uh, ramp is an LED lighted ramp it's it's got led screen on it and i will say this that ramp and stage was massive the ramp leading down to the ring was i think 80 plus feet it's a very long set very long ramp it was a cool little visual but i didn't really understand it i know the king slayer thing and i guess that kind of ties into him lighting the ramp on fire and everything but it just it just didn't seem like that big of an entrance for them to waste all the time on the match is what it was uh, triple h is one of the best in the game uh has been for a long time he's very he got a great psychology great mind for the game he he knows what he's doing it was a decent match seth rollins is one of the best workers there is it was it was an okay match it was nothing spectacular nothing not the best matches of their career pretty standard boring match i think the fans were getting a little bit of fatigue going considering that at this point they have been probably five six hours in uh this whole show was seven hours it was a it's, it's a marathon to watch but they tried to get a few little cool spots in at one point they had a uh, triple h accidentally knocked stephanie mcmahon through a table which got a huge pop being that stephanie is uh the heel general manager of raw disliked has always been it was just a little cool thing of her getting knocked off the ring apron through a table not a hard bump but nevertheless, it was it was a decent bump. They got a pop. Uh, pop. Uh, Seth Rollins won at 25 minutes and 30 seconds with the pedigree, which is his and Triple H's finisher. Uh, this is probably the longest. This is the longest match on the card, which of course it was going to be considering Triple H. He, the boss's, he's the boss's son-in-law and the CEO of the company, and he always has a longer match at WrestleMania. Uh, the match. I think they could have took a little bit of time off of this and gave it to some of the other disturbing match, deserving matches like a Owens and Jericho or even the Raw Women's match. But it, it was a decent little match. Nothing to write home about. So we're going to move on. Next they had a musical guest. It was Flo Rida and two other guys. Just, I don't even worry about it. I don't like musical performances at wrestling events. It just kind of takes me out of it. It's WrestleMania. They do it every year now. But it just, it just kind of takes me out of the moment. I don't really want to see... A WrestleMania. I don't want to see a concert at a wrestling show, especially 
usually when the concert get, they give isn't isn't that great, and it, it it's just kind of boring. So the segment, I I could say skip it. It wasn't a problem. Next up came the WWE Heavyweight Championship. It's uh Bray Wyatt walk coming in as champion against Randy Orton. Uh, Bray Wyatt enters first, and they did this with Bailey entering first and. Uh, Owens entering first. I, I I don't like when the champion comes out first. It's a little pet peeve of mine. The champion is supposed to come out last. That's the way it always has been. That's a tradition in professional wrestling. And it seems like they just pick and choose when to do it. It seems like the champions who they don't think are over enough come out first. And it's, it's just a little annoying thing to me. The Brian Orton match, the buildup was decent with uh, Orton supposedly joining the Wyatt family and then setting the Wyatt compound on fire where Sister Abigail was buried and then Bray being the new face of fear and basically kind of like the new Undertaker and having powers just doing the build up to this was weird it, it was strange him bathing in ashes he's supposed to be a cult leader he has people but he doesn't have people he has mystic powers but he doesn't have mystic powers the match was okay at best the one thing i will say about the match and the entrances is bray wyatt's entrance is it's, it's something to see uh the fireflies are out and it's people holding up their cell phone with a flashlight turned on him walking out with a lantern and pitch blackness Seventy-two thousand people doing that if you google the image it, it's a haunting image it really is it's something to see it's a spectacle and it's a babyface entrance, even though he's supposed to be the heel of the match, and he's been a heel forever. He's a babyface waiting to happen. He's waiting to be a good guy. I don't know why they haven't turned him. They tr they were going to, and then they didn't pull the trigger on it. This was he just he has the entrance of a babyface of what people love and what they want to see. The match itself is really not that good. They only gave him ten minutes, ten and a half minutes for this. Um, for a championship match, that is that is ridiculous. Um, these two are, are very capable workers, and they have a they, they could have had a really good match if they had give, given the time. They overproduced this match with theatrics. Um, at one point, you see a bug shot over the ring, and they project like maggots and bugs on the mat. And then another point, it's flies, and then it's roaches. They just it's overproduced, and it just led to another. Randy Orton win at 10 and a half minutes. So he's now a 11, 12, 13 time heavyweight champion. I don't know what it is. Randy Orton's championship reigns are usually boring. They don't do anything with him. His character is stale. They haven't updated it. They never seem to update it. It's the same thing, whether it's a face or a heel. I was not looking forward to this. Bray Wyatt's first title reign was ridiculously underutilized. They made him look weak in every match he was in. They, I don't know what Bray Wyatt did to get heat on himself. I don't know if it's the writers don't have faith in him. I don't know if Vince doesn't have faith in him. I really don't know what it is. Bray Wyatt deserves better than what he is. He's a great talker. He can bring you in. He can talk you into the seats. His character is a really good character. Uh, Google Bray Wyatt's promos, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He's He's got a weird, great mind for the business. He's a third-generation wrestler. But for some reason, they just don't seem to want to give him any kind of respect. They don't seem to want to give him any time to do anything. And they don't seem like they give him any praise. Because 
His title reign was two months, if that, of barely winning a match or being made to look weak or playing second fiddle to Randy Orton. And Randy Orton, again, is stale. The character is old. It is not what it should be. Bray Wyatt is young. He should be thrust in... He should be thrust into the upper echelon. He should be pushed more and given a better chance to be a champion because his title reign could have meant something. And it was nothing but a placeholder for Randy Orton's umpteenth title win. And I'm really not excited about it. But what you're going to do about it this match is one of the skippable ones on the show. Next up, you had the conqueror Brock Lesnar against the Phenom, the undefeated, uh, only man to ever have an undefeated world championship run. And Bill Goldberg returning after over a decade of being away from the ring again. He's had, this is his first WrestleMania since coming back. And he walked into this as Universal Champion. This match did not need the Universal Heavyweight Championship. It did not need it. Brock Lesnar and Bill Goldberg was a big enough attraction where they didn't need it. This match, the belt could have, the Universal Championship could have stayed on Chris Jarrett, on, uh, excuse me, Kevin Owens. And him and Chris Jericho could have had a champions versus champions match. This match did not need it. They painted themselves into a corner. And now they have a part-timer again as the Universal Champion, which is supposed to be their flagship championship on Raw. Uh, Brock Lesnar going into this match was 0-2 against Goldberg. He got eliminated from the Rumble. He lost the Survivor Series. He lost it to WrestleMania 12 years ago. And uh, it was that whole, can he beat uh, Bill Goldberg. Can the Conqueror conquer Bill Goldberg? Bill Goldberg's last few wins have been kind of fluky is what they seem. He beat him in a minute, 28 seconds, and it seemed like Goldberg didn't, I mean, uh, Lesnar didn't take him seriously, and that's the reason why they played that angle up. Um, Lesnar, this match is basic. I'm over Suplex City. Suplex City is getting annoying. It's made Brock Lesnar lazy. Brock Lesnar goes to goes into a match, suplexes somebody a bunch of times, hits an F5, and wins. I'm so over Brock Lesnar in this right now. It is getting old. Suplex City has made Brock very lazy in the ring to where he doesn't want to do anything else. Some people eat this up. It, is just, it gets on my nerves having to watch this over and over because every Brock Lesnar match now is the same match. This one was no different. He hit 15 German suplexes. Uh, Goldberg speared him four times. He jackhammered him. He kicks out. He goes for another spear. Lesnar leapfrogs him, which was impressive to see a man that's 300 pounds leapfrog him. It was impressive. Uh, Lesnar suplexes him a bunch of times. Hits an F5. Pins him. One, two, three. Brock Lesnar is a universal heavyweight champion. And you have a part-timer that's not going to defend the belt probably till SummerSlam. It's old. I'm over it. This match was short and sweet at four minutes and five seconds. For what it was, it was a good match for what you can have. Neither one of these men can go 20, 30 minutes. This was not going to be a classic five-star match. This was not going to be one. This was more of a spectacle event, you know, something for people to talk about. It was short and sweet, which is what it should have been. It was a decent match for what it was. Um, again, the I'm surprised that Goldberg took as many Germans as he did, German suplexes. Um, and... It, it, they didn't do a lot, but they didn't need to do a lot. Uh, the match was, it's some, it was a spectacle. Again, it was a spectacle to see. That's all it was. It was booked to be a spectacle. It was never going to be a classic match. This was not going to steal the show. That's not what it's intended to do. And it got its point across. And now we have Lesnar again as the Universal Champion. 
That's pretty much all I can say about it. Next you have, I hate to say this, kind of a cool down match, uh, the buffer match in between the spectacles. The SmackDown Women's Championship uh, six-pack challenge featuring Alexa Bliss walking in as champion. Uh, Mickey James, the returning diva. Naomi, who's coming back from injury, uh, had to relinquish the belt. That's how uh, Alexa Bliss got it. In her hometown of Orlando, you have uh, the Queen of Staten Island, Carmella. You had uh, Natalia Neidhart, who is being underutilized. as She's a part of the Hart family. Uh, she's probably the most seasoned and capable worker for them. She doesn't have the best personality. Of course, they don't really let her shine, but that's part of it. Then you had Becky Lynch, who was part of the Four Horsewomen of NXT, which consisted of Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Bayley, and, of course, Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is a great hand. It's a great... She's a great worker, and she actually deserves better than being on the SmackDown Women's roster. I'm not trying to put them down, but they're not as deep or as well equipped as Raw is. The storylines aren't as good because most of the women aren't there yet. Uh, the match was five minutes and three seconds. Again, six women, five minutes. That's a lot to cram into a match. The match was okay for what it was. It's just there was not a lot of time to do it. Um, you have James Ellsworth in the corner of Carmella. He gets involved in the match to try to hit no chin music on Becky Lynch, who catches him and puts him down. James Ellsworth is the guy who was brought in to be a squash match for Braun Strowman and the people. He had a very interesting look with no chin. He really has no chin. I mean, it's sunk in. Uh, his hair, his body, he, he looks like the quintessential jobber. And it, people kind of took to it, and it's become a thing to where people were cheering him. He got a contract. Now he's just kind of there as a uh, boyfriend slash not boyfriend for Carmella. He gets his little WrestleMania moment, which is, it's actually kind of cool to see. You know, Ellsworth is kind of, the thing's kind of old, and it's not really going, and I really don't expect him to be in WWE much longer. But for him to get to work WrestleMania when he, I don't think he ever thought he would get to work at WrestleMania or be at WrestleMania, involved in WrestleMania, it was actually kind of cool to see. And it shows you that you can live a dream no matter who you are or what you look like. Uh, Naomi wins this match after coming back from injury in her hometown, which is not surprising. Um, she dances afterwards, celebrates. It's a good, feel-good moment for the hometown girl. The match is decent for what it was. Again, five minutes is not a lot of time to do for six people to be involved. And it's, it's really just, eh. But, I mean, they, they tried, they worked, and they did their best to try to make the match great. And it, it was an okay match. Uh, next, the New Day, which are the hosts, come out to announce the attendance of WrestleMania, which they do this every year. And they broke uh, the attendance at the Miami uh, Bowl uh, with 75,245 people, which is a lot of people to cram into a wrestling event. Of course, these numbers are always kind of flubbed. Um, there's oh, 72 plus, that's for sure. But they always seem to add a few more to make it more than what it was. I don't know why, but they do it every year. And this is just one of the times. Next, you have uh, Jim Ross come out, JR, to call the last final match of the night. It was really cool to see JR come out, especially after the rough couple weeks he's had of losing his wife. 
Jim Ross is the greatest ring announcer that's ever been. He's the greatest wrestling announcer ever. He's uh, just, you know, great. He, he's great. I can't say enough about Jim Ross. Um, he He's passionate every time he calls a match. You actually feel like he cares about the business and cares about the product. And it was just cool to see him be able to return home to where he got as much fame as he did and became a household name to call probably the last match of a great legend's career. Last match, closing out the show, the main event of WrestleMania was The Undertaker, The Phenom, taking on Roman Reigns and what it was basically a passing of the torch to Roman Reigns. The Undertaker has always said that he's the big dog in the yard. Roman Reigns is supposed to be the new big dog. And basically this was Taker passing the torch to Roman Reigns. Um, if you saw this, seeing The Undertaker's entrance is just incredible to watch. I mean, I've seen one entrance live of his, and it was so great. It's so incredible to see. And the power you feel in the arena is is real. And at WrestleMania, this is his show. He went undefeated for 21 WrestleMania, lost to Brock Lesnar in what a lot of people thought was the wrong move. Won two more, and then this was probably his last one. I'll get into that. Um... Taker is he's in his 50s, uh, 56 if I believe. He's not he's not in the best of shape anymore. I mean, he can't be. He's done years of this. He's done things that a normal man cannot do, and he comes back after injuries after injuries. He had supposed to have a hip replacement. He you could tell during this match in the build that his hip hurt him. He didn't walk the same. He kind of has a had a little wimp. Um, during this match, I mean, for what it was, for with Taker's limited ability, it was actually a really good match. It was not the best match by Taker's standards, and I really think he could have used a better opponent. Roman is not known to carry people to great matches. He's not a terrible worker, but he's just young himself, and I don't think he was actually there yet. But they actually had a decent match. Taker looked okay. Roman helped him look as good as he can, and Taker actually catapulted Roman to being a... A better competitor. Um, Roman Reigns ends up winning the match, uh, and it, it's shocking that Roman Reigns won this match. I didn't think Roman was going to win. Um, I thought this was going to be Taker's last match, and I really thought that what would happen would Taker would get taken to the limit, win the match, shake Roman's hand, and that would be the passing of the torch. But Taker keeping with the tradition of professional wrestling, went out on his shield. He did the job for Roman Reigns, passing the torch. Um, when I first saw it, I was upset. I didn't want it to happen. I, I was mad at this, but looking back, Taker wouldn't do this job for Roman Reigns unless he wanted to. They, if, if he said he wasn't doing it, Vince would have changed it, and he wouldn't have made it happen. Taker did this because he knew... It had to be done. He knows how it is. And it was Taker basically giving his blessing to Roman Reigns. And I give Roman a lot of credit and respect simply because if you've seen the match and seen him during the last parts of the match and even afterwards, Roman didn't look like he wanted to do it. I mean, legitimately. I don't I don't think Roman's this good of an actor. He had to look like, I didn't want to do this. It shouldn't have been me. And Roman Reigns had a 
great cross to bear right now because he is going to be the most hated man in professional wrestling for a long time because of this, and it's not something he did. He did not go and ask for this, I'm guessing. Taker basically gave him his blessing to do it by doing the job for him, and I really, really think that it's going to be a good thing for Roman because it can, it's going to allow him to branch out because he's already been getting booed and mixed reactions. This is pretty much guaranteed he's going to be booed. They did a heel turn without him being a heel or doing heelish things in the match. He took Taker to the limit. There was a botch. There was a few botches in this match, the main one being when he went to reverse the tombstone of the Undertaker and the Undertaker, he was going to hit him on the tombstone. Taker couldn't flip up right. Roman couldn't muscle him up because Taker's close to 300 pounds. It's a, he's a big guy to help muscle up, and it, it didn't work. Um, there was a bunch of spears and Superman punches, which are Roman's two of his main moves. It took, I think, five, four or five spears to put Roman Reigns down. I mean, put the Undertaker down. Um Roman told him stay down. Roman had to look like he didn't want he didn't want to do it. Basically, kind of reminiscing the Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair retirement match, to where Shawn didn't want to end Flair's career. You can kind of tell Roman didn't want to end Taker's. Without saying it, Roman had that look. Like I said, the match was not a, it was not a great match. It was by far not the Taker's best match, but for what it was, it was actually a really good match. Taker did the best he could with his limited ability. Roman not being the best opponent in the world, not being known to carry a match, actually helped Undertaker have a, a pretty decent match, and I give him all the respect in the world. And then afterwards, he left, and it was Taker's last ride. I guess you could say um, he takes his gloves off, puts them in the middle of the ring, his hat, his trench coat, as his music's playing, it's a, it's just a sight. I I cried during this. Um, Taker debuted in 1990. I was two years old. I've watched him my entire, literally my entire life. I've watched the Undertaker wrestle, and to see him retire and leave, if this is his last one, I I legitimately had tears in my eyes. He gets out of the ring. He kisses his wife, which is something. Taker never breaks character. He's never broken character. He doesn't do interviews where he's not in character. He doesn't do interviews really. Undertaker keeps his character intact. That was the one time I think I've ever seen him break uh, kayfabe. He kisses his wife, goes on the ramp to thank you Taker chants and Undertaker chants and raises the fist. And in his, in kind of a Terminator 2S when he's lowered in the lava, the Stage starts lowering and he goes down, still holding up his hand as it ends. It, it was a it was a great visual and a fitting send off to the Undertaker if this was his last match, which I honestly truly believe it was. It was a fitting send off to him with the the sentimental leaving of his attire in the ring and him lowering from the stage. And I want to say thank you to him because he, I mean, he was a huge part of my childhood and my professional wrestling fandom. And to, for me to be able to see his last match, I didn't see it live, but for me to be able to watch it was, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing sight. And um, I can't, I can't really say enough about the Undertaker's career. I mean, 
there is no WrestleMania without The Undertaker. He's probably the greatest performer to ever be in a WWE ring. I'm sorry to Shawn Michaels or Ric Flair. They are the greatest overall performers. But as far as a loyal WWE character who never changed, who stayed consistent and was there, it's Undertaker. He does a great job of, of bringing you in. He's always put on the best match of his ability, even when he wasn't physically able to. He He's a an icon in this business. He's the phenom for a reason. And if this was his last match, he will be missed. But it was it was a fitting way for him to end. And for him to pass the torch and to do the job, my hat's off to you, uh, Mr. Taker. And that's apparent and that's apparently the end of it. Um his hat and stuff stayed in the ring for thirty minutes to an hour after the show was over. I mean, so that's why I really think that this was his last one. And again, if it is, just thank you for all the memories. Thank you for everything you've done for the fans. And we really appreciate it. And we hope you just enjoy retirement and move on because it's it's an incredible, he was an incredible sight and an incredible once-in-a-lifetime performer. And that's probably going to be about it. Uh, this is probably the longest episode I've ever had, uh, WrestleMania recap. Overall, I think this is one of the actually one of the better shows in the past five years or so. Um, the matches weren't all great, but for the time they had and stuff, they were actually all decent matches. The match of the night was probably, to me, was Jericho and Owens or AJ and Shane. Um, I wish they gave Owens and Jericho a little bit more time again, but for what it was and what it was, I mean, this was a seven-hour event. Two-hour pre-show, five-hour on the main card. A lot of time, and it can be a marathon sometimes to have to run through these, to run through these WrestleManias. But it's the spectacle of WrestleMania; it's part of it, and I, it was it was just a good show overall. It wasn't, you know, the Hardys returning was a big pop. That was probably the moment, the WrestleMania moment that everybody's going to remember. It's just a really good. It was a really good show. Um, not the best WrestleMania, but definitely not the worst. There's been a much worse WrestleManias. And this one will be go down as one of the better WrestleManias. And uh, I just want to thank you for listening to me ramble on about my professional wrestling love and my fandom for this segment of Inside the Ropes and the Nerd Pool Podcast. I want to say thank you. And just remember, come on in. The water's fine. Oh, I also forgot. How could I forget this? You can catch me now on Twitter at NerdPoolPod. At Nerdpool Pod, you can keep up to date with all things going on with the Nerdpool Podcast. Catch me on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com slash Nerdpool Podcast. Big things are happening, people. This is another week I've done it. I'm on time, and I want to thank everybody once again from the bottom of my heart for all the listens, the likes, subscribes, shares, everything for all the support you guys are giving me. This is something I really enjoy doing and I'm hoping that it's entertaining you and I just want to thank you again. So with that, come on in. The water's fine.